0: I'd like you to think back on a responsibility that you have had as a child or perhaps in your career. Perhaps it was for you, you were tasked with washing the dishes after supper. Or maybe you always had the responsibility in your home of making your bed and making sure it was neat every morning. Or perhaps in your, in your job, you had responsibilities that came with your career that uh, were given to you. I want you to think, how did you handle that responsibility? How was your attitude towards it? Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? And once completing that responsibility, were you better or worse off because of it? I'll tell you one responsibility that I had um, several years ago. This is probably 15 years ago, uh, 16 years ago. Uh, was in France when I when I spent a year there. Uh, I had the opportunity to work at a Bible camp for summer uh, right after I finished. So it'd been from end of June uh, 2005 to the end of August, toward the end of August, the middle of August. And uh, we had a couple weeks of summer, uh, several weeks of summer camp actually to do. And there they uh, run weeks consecutively, so it'll be family week one week, and then next week it'll be kids week. Well, in this camp, uh, we had family week for about a week, and then after that came two weeks of teens-slash-kids uh, camp. And the teens and the kids came together, big enough camp where you could do both. And so the teens had separate activities, and the, the kids had separate activities. And I was leading a kids group, uh, which for a guy who uh, was starting to get familiar with the French language was, was challenging. I was tasked with um, many responsibilities, some of which included leading a Bible study as we talked about certain things. But one of those activities that we had to plan, each one of us counselors had to plan a, some sort of activity for the kids in the afternoon. And so I was kind of thinking through of what I had to do, and so I came up with the World Cup uh, theme. So we had a big soccer tournament, and I had to take all the kids' names, put them on teams, and they gave them a, each a country, and we had a soccer tournament. That, one of those afternoons, I think it was like a Thursday, and I also was tasked with that, once the tournament was finished, and I and others refereed it, make sure nobody was uh, uh, playing dirty or anything like that, uh, to give a reward out the next day uh, for those who won. And I think it was Italy who, uh, who won that tournament. But it was all up to me. I had to plan everything out, had to uh, construct the schedule, make sure uh, supplies and equipment for that tournament were provided, and then had to figure out what prize to give and and uh, gave that out uh, freely to those who won. And it was a great time, even though there were some tears shed at at those who did not win. But I tell you what, uh, it was a great opportunity for me to practice my gaming skills as far as uh, making sure the games ran smoothly. We'll come to this passage of Scripture this morning, and we find some responsibilities that you and I have in our Christian life. And I believe what Paul is laying out for us, as we've seen through this portion of Scripture, um, that these responsibilities assist us in a challenge of life. And so I believe that God lays before us this morning this challenge, and that is that our lives must demonstrate the new man. We've been talking about the new man for several weeks. It's who we are in Christ. The new identity that we have. The walking worthy in chapter 4, verse 1 that we are called to do. And so here we have a personal responsibility to demonstrate the new man. Paul lays out for us four of these responsibilities, and I want you to notice notice them with us this morning. The first one from verses 15 and 16 is that we live wisely. See, then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Paul notes several things about this, and the first one is that living wisely is the expression of the new man. Again, he uses the word therefore. Uh, in the New King James and King James is translated, see then. I, I think a better way of describing it is therefore, because it links back to four verse one, the walking worthy, but also links back to five verse eight, which says, walk as children of light. This is all outworkings of our position in Christ. We cannot ignore the need to live as Christ calls us to Too many Christians today think that there are too many burdens on the Christian life. And so it's best just to avoid them and maybe focus on one or two and just leave the rest. Scripture says there are many ways to live out our identity in Christ as the new man, and we need to take it seriously. We cannot ignore it. See, then, therefore, because we are new in Christ, because we are walking as children of light, we are to live wisely. Also notice, please, that living wisely requires a commitment to self-examination. See, then, you walk circumspectly. Okay, The word see here means to pay close attention to something. And notice here, as, as we've gone through this section of Scripture, this is a command. This is something we are supposed to do. It's not an option. God wants us to pay attention to living wisely. And if that's not enough to use that word, see, he uses the word circumspectly. Okay? Now, we really don't use this word much anymore. It, it, it carries with it the idea of a strict conformity to a standard or norm with a focus on close attention so it's a standard that is set before you and you need to pay close attention to obeying that standard and here the standard is the new man in christ and we as believers are to actively conform to that standard i kind of compare it to to uh, annual reviews how many of you at your job get annual reviews or had annual reviews okay what do annual reviews do Annual reviews are designed to evaluate your performance in light of certain standards, aren't they? You know, for me, at, uh, I worked at South Dakota State University as a custodian and then a supervisor. And when I got to the supervisor stage, I'm the one that had to give the reviews and I had to go through a specific format. I had to evaluate the employee on certain standards and in regards to the cleaning type of things, in regards to time management, in regards to following instructions. So there are several different levels I had to go through to evaluate someone in regards to their performance. And then I would have to sit down with them and say, hey, Joe, you're doing great in this area, you're not doing great in this area. And I always had a standard that I had to compare to so they could see, okay, I'm doing well here, I'm not doing so well here, I need to improve. Well, that's the thing for us here this morning, is that the standard for us is the new man, and we are to carefully examine our lives to make sure we're meeting that standard. Okay? Carefully doing that. So Paul commands us here, and God commands us to pay close attention. Life as the new man cannot be taken for granted. How many of us take our lives in Christ for granted this morning? We take for granted that we're a believer. We take for granted that He has saved us. We don't take it seriously. I hope you've seen through this this discussion from chapter 4 several weeks ago on that we're supposed to take our Christian walk very seriously. We're supposed to pay attention. And here it requires careful obedience and careful inspection to consistently obey the standard of being the new man in Christ. Can I ask you a question this morning? And maybe I get to it at the end, but I'll ask it now. Do you carefully examine your life according to God's standard? Make sure you're meeting that standard. And I ask that question for all of us this morning Are we carefully examining our lives to make sure we're walking, we're living our lives not as foolish people? but as wise. Several other things to note here. That living wisely is concerned with the present. Living wisely is concerned with the present. I'm sorry, I missed some slides here. Living wisely is concerned with the present. Notice with me, see then that, the, the word that shows how living wisely is to be done. You know, this is the content. This is how we live wisely. Again, we've seen the word walk. It means to to live or to walk, to conduct your lifestyle. And it's in the present tense. So what Paul is doing here is he's saying, pay careful attention to your active life, how you are living. It shows that God desires that we as believers carefully examine how we are doing in life to make sure we're meeting the standard. God desires that we obey today so that we may reflect the new man we are today. He's not concerned about the future. He's not concerned about the past. He wants us to live today and examine our lives today, how we are doing according to this standard. Living wisely also avoids a foolish lifestyle. Look at with me, please. Not as fools. We read in Proverbs this morning. Proverbs is famous about the fool. But the, fool, the idea of fool here is lack of understanding or competence. Foolishness does not count, count the standard of the new man as valuable as life is lived. And So Paul says avoid that lifestyle. The foolish lifestyle is, is part of the old lifestyle. So that has no part of God. And in contrast, we're to walk as wise. The word wise here means capacity to understand and function accordingly. It's wisdom. Wisdom understands what to do and then proceeds to do it. So it's both the knowledge and the action in one. So Paul says, don't be a foolish person. Be a wise person who both knows what God says and does it. Is this not the, the message of Proverbs? Proverbs fifteen seventeen, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. Don't be a foolish person. And then finally from this section, living wisely seizes every opportunity to behave as a new man, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We've heard this before. We've heard it preached before. What does it mean? Redeeming the time. The word redeeming means to gain something, especially in reference to advantage or opportunity. And here, the, the idea behind the word is to make the most of an opportunity. Anybody know what the, the phrase carpe diem means? Seize the day. That's, that's, that's kind of what's going on here seize the day seize the opportunity we've been given day or days of time and we are to seize it we are to make most of the opportunity why because the days are evil time has been given to all of us but that time can be used for evil so implied in this verse is that there's a warning don't waste time in foolish pursuits. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. You Nor know, there are opportunities before us all the time to, to either be productive or slack off. Now, there, to, be, to be sure, there's times where we can rest and rejuvenate ourselves and have fun. That's, that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying, when you have an opportunity to, to act like the new man, whether it be in your own personal life, whether it be before your neighbors and friends and coworkers, when you have that opportunity, take it. Don't waste it. Because the days we live in are evil. And implied in it as well, because they are evil, God's judgment is coming. And so we must occupy ourselves with every opportunity to live wisely in an unwise world. And that leads me to ask this question this morning. Do you realize that how you live as a follower of Christ matters? Do you realize that how you live as a follower of Christ matters? Again, we need to take this seriously. Too many Christians sit in pews and chairs in a church on a Sunday morning and they don't even give a thought to this. Because, why? Because they're not taking living for Christ seriously. They're being foolish. Paul says, live wisely. Know that your life matters before God. So take it seriously. Are you taking it seriously this morning? As you, as you go about your life, as you, as you experience retirement, as you experience uh, working full-time, whatever it might be, do you realize that you, the way you live matters to God? It should matter to you. Secondly, let's hope I got this on there. <laughs> Second responsibility we have is to we live according to the standard of God's will. Verse 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Foolishness, notice here, is not concerned with the will of God. Notice again, he says, therefore. So he's, he's linking it back to what he's just talked about. Foolish living, wise living. Don't be unwise. Why, why, is it, why does Paul give this? It says the reason goes back to, to taking advantage, making the most of every opportunity. Therefore, do not be unwise. Do not be foolish. There's no profit for you and I to being foolish because it wastes every opportunity to be wise. When we engage in foolish behavior, whether it be the behavior of the old man, whether it be just not behaving like we should, according to the new man, we waste those opportunities. Therefore, do not be unwise. Notice also with me that a foolish perspective is to be actively avoided. Therefore, do not be, be, being, active, present, tense verb. Do not be unwise. Do not be foolish. Here the word foolish means to be lack of prudence or good judgment. It's a command here. Do not be unwise. Do not be foolish. It's not an option for us. We're supposed to obey. And the word is constructed here to show that that foolishness, to avoid foolishness is a responsibility on our part. We have the responsibility when we are presented with opportunities to be like the new man, not to be foolish and avoid them. It's our responsibility. Foolishness is always a temptation for us, isn't it? There's always the temptations to be foolish and not do what we're supposed to do. So that requires that you and I have an active mindset of fighting against foolish behavior. Foolishness is easy, isn't it? Foolishness is easy, the easy path to go. Doesn't require a lot of work, doesn't have a lot of consequences at begin at the beginning. Seems like the easy path. But there really no benefit at the end. Therefore, do not be unwise. And what are we supposed to do? The new man seeks to understand and live out the will of God. Notice with me. But understand what the will of the Lord is. (laughs) The word understand here means to have an intelligent grasp of something that challenges one's thinking or practice. Again, it's a command to obey. Have an intelligent grasp of something that challenges one's thinking or practice. I, w- I would liken it to uh, construction plans. Uh, I had an opportunity before coming up here to work uh, construction, both commercial and residential, uh, more on the commercial side. And commercial construction, they have all these types of plans. Uh, and they're all found in several different places throughout the site. It can be a simple one page plan, or if you're working on a big project, it's multiple pages, multiple layers, and, and down to the detail that it describes how this cabinet is supposed to go in this room, or this desk is supposed to go in this room, how many feet over, how many feet up. It's very specific. And, and for a new guy who was in the, the business, I, just, I had a very hard time understanding it. And perhaps you do too. When you look at plans, you're like, well, what, what does this mean? And as time went on, I was able to grasp a little bit more of what was being talked about. And that was understanding. Okay. So when you understand something, you grasp it in your mind, and you know, okay, this makes sense, and this is what I'm supposed to do. So instead of being unwise, we're supposed to be wise and pursue and live out the will of God. Hear the phrase, the will of the Lord or the will of God refers to what is pleasing to Him. It can be found in what God does and what He commands. We'll find several statements throughout Scripture that describe this. First Peter 2.15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So the will of God here is that we do good. Okay, Simple and clear. There are, other, there are portions of Scripture that show us what God wants us to do. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying foolishness ignores the will of God. Wisdom pursues it. Making the most of every opportunity means seeking those opportunities to please God. Whether it be in witnessing for Him, whether it be loving your spouse, loving your kids and grandkids, whether it be putting others, people first, sacrificing what you want in favor of what they want, those are opportunities to please God and do the will of God. It may be large, it may be small, yet in every circumstance, we as the new man in Christ are to pursue pleasing God. And that leads me to ask this question. As you go through your day, are you pursuing the will of God? Are you pursuing what God has for you? What He's laid out for you throughout the day? And, and as you face those challenges, those temptations to be foolish, are you Pursuing the will of God by pleasing Him and doing what He wants. That's how we're responsible in living out the new man in our personal lives. Third reflection this morning. Third responsibility is that we abstain from the former life. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. The former life The old man, if you will, incorporates outside influences. Here the word drunk means to be intoxicated. Again, it's a command here. Do not be intoxicated. With what? With wine. Now, let me just stop here for a second. Some of you are thinking, oh man, pastor's going to preach against alcohol. Oh man, am I ready for this? Um, That's not the point. Okay, That's not the point here. Paul's use of the word "wine" is a generic term here. There's, there's different words in the New Testament that mean wine. There's sour wine that we find in Matthew 27:48, where Jesus was given the sour wine, and that was used as a medical uh, use. that was medical use, that was used to dull pain,. okay? Old wine in Luke 5:39 was more aged uh, beverage that could be aged in content, but also aged in flavor, OK? And there, in Acts chapter 2, verse 13, another usage is found in that sweet new wine, or the idea is fresh off the, the uh, wine press that hasn't had, really had time to age. And so what matters here is how is it fermented. That's, that's the idea that, that Paul brings out. In, in Bible times, wine was mixed with water to kill germs and to sanitize the water. They, did, they didn't have the filtration systems we have today. So they had to use something with an alcoholic content to clean up the water, make sure it wasn't nasty for you to drink. Okay? We've all had nasty water I mean, at some point in time. And the reason is is there's germs in there. There's stuff in there that makes it nasty. And so wine for them was a standard to mixing in water to make it clean. Normally the, the dilution was three parts water to one part wine. Okay? So that's how it was diluted. So what Paul is saying here is it is not a prohibition against alcoholic drinking. The emphasis is not being drunk, not being controlled by, not being under the influence of. And I can come up with, with, with statements uh, from Scripture that say it's not a good idea to drink an alcoholic beverage, but the Scripture does not specifically prohibit it. But yet here Paul says, do not be drunk with wine. And for the Ephesian believers, perhaps this was a challenge. Thinking in context, you think in the church in Ephesus, people were saved out of that lifestyle. They knew it was what it was like to be drunk and to be staggering home and to be in a stupor as you were worshiping at the house of your God. They knew what that was like. And perhaps the temptation was still there as they lived in that area. And so Paul says, do not be drunk with wine. Second thing I want you to notice about this verse is that the former life abandons everything in pursuit of indulgence. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. Okay? The word dissipation here means reckless abandon with an emphasis on debauchery. To put it simply, it is wild, unhindered pursuit of something with no intent of Stopping. We use the term today, reckless driving, driving, right? You've seen the cop shows, you've seen the, the uh, police scanners and heard stuff, and a lot of times you'll see the, the term reckless driving. What does that mean? Well, the person who was driving on the road was doing it recklessly. They were all over the place. They had no intention of stopping. They didn't care if they hit a tree or a barrier. They just drove and drove and drove with no thought of those around them. That's the idea of the word dissipation or recklessness. It's out of control, passion and pursuit of something, and you don't intend to stop. And Paul says this is how drunkenness is defined. To be drunk is to be reckless and corrupt in actions and words. And he says, you don't do that. It's not who you are. What is Paul saying? To be drunk with wine is to allow life to be degraded by an outside influence and give in to the old man rather than the new. that's what he's saying here. He's saying, don't give in to that old lifestyle that was reckless, that had no stop to it, that had no break, was passionate, but for the wrong things. He says, don't give in to that. That's the former lifestyle. That's not being responsible as the new man. So that leads me to ask this morning, are you indulging in the former life or are you abandoning it altogether? And some of you might say, well, Pastor, I I got saved at at an early age, didn't really do those things. I understand that. Most of our testimonies, uh, some of our testimonies this morning are not like that. And that's fine. But still, the temptation exists. Even if we didn't do it habitually, before we got saved, there's still a temptation to go back to it, right? Isn't there? We still can do it. We still can indulge in things that are the former lifestyle. And so Paul says, are you avoiding that or embracing it? Maybe in your words and actions towards coworkers, you're, you're embracing the, the, the old way of talk. Maybe in your marriage, you're, you're embracing what the, the selfish attitude that people uh, that the world says it's okay to have in marriage. You know, as long as they please you, it's okay. When they don't, then you can, it's okay to get rough. That's the old lifestyle. That's, that's something that's supposed to be Im- abandoned altogether, not indulged in. Are you indulging the old life or abandoning it? And lastly, we live spirit-filled lives. Verse 18, but be filled with the Spirit Our lives as a new man comes from the filling of the Spirit. The word filled here means to make full. Again, command, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So instead of being filled with wine, which can transform a person into a totally different individual, we've all seen it. You ever seen a drunk or drug-influenced person? It's just not pretty. they, They become someone that they're not that outside influence takes over and controls them. So unlike that, the believer is to be filled by the Spirit. It's the act of letting Him transform you to be like Christ in word and deed. A better translation here is not with the Spirit, but by the Spirit. So the the idea here is is not being Spirit-controlled, but allowing Him to transform you. Let me define it this way. The filling of the Spirit is the act of the Holy Spirit in, quote, filling us with His own character, unquote, so that we are more like Christ. The filling of the Spirit is always tied to filling a person. Hence, the command to be filled by the Spirit is present. So it's be filled by the Spirit. is a continual action. something we need to be consistently doing because we can get away from that. We can get away from letting the Holy Spirit transform our lives and make us more like Christ to letting those outside influences come back in. And Paul gives several results of being Spirit-filled. What are they? The first one is that the Spirit-filled life results in believers encouraging one another with truth, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms or excuse me, psalms mean songs of praise, hymns are, are those with religious content. So Paul uses two different words to describe the same thing. Spiritual songs. What are those? Those are songs that come from being filled by the Spirit. You know, when when you God has a has a control on your life and you're being transformed into his image, your songs look differently, don't they? Your songs are more expressive and more rejoicing in in content. So what Paul is saying here by listing these different ways of singing. He's saying that the result of a Spirit-filled life, regardless of the format, should be always encouraging fellow believers with the truth. That's why we sing on a Sunday morning. We not only sing praise to God, but we sing truth to each other so they can be reminded of the truth. Because let's be honest with ourselves. When we walk in here on a Sunday morning, we need the truth. Amen? I mean, I, I need it. And how am I reminded of that? through song, through music. As we we sang this morning about, I'd rather have Jesus, right? Isn't that a great reminder that despite the, the activities of our world today, Jesus is so much better? There's so much more with Christ than it is with this world? And I hope you were reminded of that as we sang to God and sang to each other, I'd rather have Jesus. Knows also with me that the Spirit-filled life produces singing. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The word singing here means to sing in praise, and that phrase making melody means to sing songs of praise without or, with or without musical accompaniment. So the idea here is one does not need instruments to praise God. The, the, it's really interesting. We don't have a word to describe this in English but the literal translation of this is singing and psalming. Singing and psalming, making music. So Paul says, singing in public and private is, wonderful, is a wonderful expression of the filling of the Spirit. It is the proclamation of what God has done, what He is doing and will do through the avenue of music. The Spirit-filled believer who sings and brings praise to God brings praise to God who deserves that praise and so much more. It leads me to ask this question this morning. Are you engaged in the time of singing? Can I encourage you to do that? Be engaged in worship and when we're singing be engaged with it. I know some of you are saying well pastor I don't sing that well. I, I get it. Okay? You know I knew a pastor one time down in southern Minnesota when I was in college. Uh, came up a couple times to recruit students to come down to his church, and then we went there once when I was a freshman uh, for uh, handbells. And and he always used to get up and say, "I sing between two notes, P and U." And it was, I, I mean, he was being blatantly honest. He could not sing. It was bad. I mean, love the Lord, preach the word, but he just couldn't sing. And so he would always admit that and say, "Hey, can can someone else lead the singing? I'm not very good at it." But he still tried. And you might not be a good singer, and that's okay, that's fine. But are you engaged in the time of singing, or are you just sitting back and letting others do it? I encourage you, and that's not what you're supposed to do. Even if you swing between, sing between P and U, still sing. Still be involved in singing and praising our God. That's how we live the Spirit-filled life. That's what a Spirit-filled person does. So, when we're worshiping in song, whether it be on songs on the screen or in a hymn book, sing. Even if it's just to yourself. Paul goes on here. It says also that the spirit filled life produces a thankful attitude. A spirit filled life produces a thankful attitude. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word here, give thanks, means to express appreciation for benefits or blessings. In context, we're thanking God for the blessings that he has poured out onto us. Some of you are saying, well, what blessings can I thank him for? What things can I thank him for? Go back to chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ and following You and I have so much to be thankful for. So much to praise God for. And notice what he says. What's the time frame of that? Always. Giving thanks always. There's no time limit or situation where one does not give thanks to God. And this helps us to avoid grumbling or whining, which is really easy for all of us to do. Right? We're all grumblers and whiners when we kind of boil it down. We all have that temptation. But if we have this attitude of giving thanks always, that changes things. That gives us a thankful outlook. And what are we to be thankful for? For everything. And that, those two words there cancel out every opportunity to gripe or complain. Now, I, I, I did a fair amount of complaining when I was a kid. I, I, I did. And we all did. We all have. But if I'm going to have a Spirit-filled life and I want God's Spirit to transform me and use me, guess what? I need to have a thankful attitude for everything, even if it doesn't go my way. Even if it wasn't what I wanted. The, the, the modern-day description is always look on the bright side of life, right? Well, I'm going to give you a better reason. Always look on the bright side of life because what God has done for you. Therefore, you can be thankful for everything. I can be thankful for the mundane and the tough moments. Thinking on it in the past couple years with challenges working a secular job and wanting to go into ministry, it was hard to be thankful. I tended to be more complaining and whining when I should have been thankful. That God gave me a job that I could provide for my family, that I could work, and that I could grow. We all need to have that thankful attitude. God is the reason that we are to be thankful, and we give thanks through the name of His Son. That's the idea of the, the, the phrase there. For all things to God the Father... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has given us the right to approach God with thanksgiving on our lips and it is more than appropriate to invoke his name as we give thanks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. And the final benefit this morning as we close, that the Spirit-filled life produces humble submission to fellow believers, submitting to one another in the fear of God. What does that word mean? Submitting. It's not a very popular term today. It means to be in a submissive relationship. And the one who is doing the action is the one submitting. The idea here is to forgo one's own opinions and preferences in deference to another's ideas, opinions, or preferences. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says this, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. We're supposed to submit to one another, so putting your brother or sister in Christ's opinions and ideas, even though it might not be what you like, ahead of your own. Engaging with them and saying, in conversation and in life, and putting their priorities ahead of yours. The term for that, I think, it's called love. And how do we submit to one another? How, we, how do we have this attitude of putting others first and ourselves last? We do it because of what Christ has done. We, we uh, are in reverential fear of Christ. God has brought us all together in His body and He's building His church. God has done this work in the life of the believer, not through His own work. And that should prompt us because of what Christ has done for us, bringing us together in the body of Christ to submit to one another in the fear of God. Because we're all together. We're all working together as God is working on us to build His church and therefore, because of what Christ is doing through us, God is doing for us, we submit to one another even though it might be hard. leads me to ask this question this morning. Are you living a Spirit-filled life? Are you living a spirit life? Are you being filled with the Spirit? As a present tense verb, it's something we continually do because we cannot... Um, all the time keep it up because we're tempted to and, and we fall and fail. So Paul says, live a spirit-filled life. Are you doing that? As I, 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 a sub-point here, a sub-question here, are, are, you, are you engaging in the results of a spirit-filled life? Are you singing to one another when we're in, in worship or whether you're in, in your home? Are you making melody in your heart to the Lord? Are you singing to the Lord in praise to Him? Are you being thankful for what you have and for everything that God has given you, always, regardless of what time frame you find yourself in? And are you submitting to one another? Are you you putting that person's preferences and ideas ahead of your own? That's the Spirit-filled life. To take responsibility is to solemnly pledge to fulfill what needs to be done. That's the that's idea of, of taking responsibility. God has laid out these responsibilities this morning, this, this morning for us to help us fulfill the task at hand, demonstrating the new man. How do we do that? We live wisely, not as fools, but as wise. We live to the standard of God's will. We, we, that's what we pursue, that's what we, we, we uh, incorporate into our lives. We do what pleases Him. We abstain from the former life. We don't do the things of the past life. Those influences need to be abstained from, foregone. And we live spirit-filled lives. We let him fill us and use us and transform us to be more like him. May we this week and the rest of our lives embrace these responsibilities and faithfully complete them until the day we see his face.